Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. I think we would all agree that foreign mission service demands a level of consecration to the cause of Christ that is rare in modern Christianity. This is almost assuredly among the reasons that more men do not submit themselves to this call. There is a cost to count. Today, I continue my conversation with Brother C, who has labored in a majority Muslim country in Southeast Asia for the last seven years. In my estimation, he's not only a good missionary, he's one of the most consecrated Christians I've had the privilege of knowing. In today's conversation, Brother C helps us to count the cost of missionary preparation and then proceeds to answer some questions about some of the adversity that his family has known since deploying in foreign mission service. But stay tuned to the end because he tells the story of a man he calls Paul, a beautiful story of what missions is all about. We conclude this conversation with Brother C's vision for his work going forward. This is among my favorite interviews recorded so far. You're listening to the conclusion of a two-part interview with Brother C on culture, language, and adversity. Now for the conversation. I think maybe the so much of our emphasis in in terms of missions, uh, a call to missions is we're just so carnal, we're so pleasure centered, we're so entertainment oriented that so much of our emphasis, the emphasis of our mission is to surrender, 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 surrender. Well, actually, it's it's more than just deciding to go, isn't it? Um, uh, a call to go is, is as has been said, a call to go is a call to prepare. And there is a there's a uh, a level of consecration um, that is required before ever going to a foreign mission field, um, and a level of involvement to demonstrate that you can make it on a foreign mission field. But by the same token, as you point out, we've got to have some realistic expectations of these men as they go to their foreign mission fields, and not expect. Uh, so unfortunately, missions has been I think effective missions has been undermined by sensational reports that are oftentimes inaccurate or inflated Absolutely. because of because of the weight of expectation that people are just scores of people are going to get saved and churches are going to be established that is the goal but we need to be more realistic about how to do that effectively over the long term and because we have those expectations we are tempted to christianize to falsely evangelize to even baptize people against their culture, against their will. And, and we've come up, we have come up with some very creative ways of getting people to follow Christ without actually following Christ. <laughs> and I think we get to heaven, we're going to find out how much wood, hay, and stubble we have played with when we should have been focusing on precious stones and gold and silver, the real treasures, not the consumables, but the endurables. I think as a young, well, anyone, whether young or old, and, and usually we have this misconception that you can't learn a language if you're over 50 years of age. Well, if God wants you to learn a language, you can, and you should try, and you should do it. And And we have so many so many preconceived notions that missions is only for guys in their 20s or maybe 30s. And that's wrong. That is totally 
a wrong concept. Amen. We need to be focused more on commitment. And when a young man or anyone surrenders to go to the mission field or answers God's call or is directed by God to go to a field, whichever way you want to describe that, that person really needs to understand what picking up the cross means and making a commitment to this endeavor. Because we're not staying on the mission field very long is evidence that we do not have a commitment that's very long. We run up against some opposition and we turn around and we run home. We get sick and we go home. Well, we might need to do that at some point in time. But at some point in time, we got to realize that this is where God wants us. This is where God will enable us. And we need to make this our place our home. We have experienced a lot of sickness on the field. And one thing that the nationals have told us, they said, brother, we, your family is different. I said, why? He said, because every time you get a sniffle, you don't go back to America. He said, you stay here and suffer just like we do. And that gains respect. Wow. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be dumb and stupid and get to the point of death. Although in the last seven years, my wife and I have been at the point of death a couple of times. But since the nationals have seen us trust God in this new environment and not trust plane tickets and doctors in the States and all the rest of that, they said, well, maybe your faith is real. And it's an issue to them. They're observing our operation of faith. And there is a point in time you do need to buy tickets and come back and get some advanced care that's not available on the foreign field. Foreign hospitals are just foreign hospitals, and some of them are very little more than a Band-Aid station. And you might be facing surgery in a Band-Aid station. All right? Uh, that brings up a question of, is this God's will or this is, is this not God's will? What should you do now? Is, are you going to be alive by the time you get home? You cannot imagine the pressure that this brings to a man's mind when his wife is laying at this point and you're trying to think, did I make the wrong call? Did I bring my wife down here to kill her? Do I have legitimacy from the scriptures to do this? I mean, there's a lot of things. And because of the intensity of all these thoughts that a man must think, then begins to rethink the first thought. Yeah. God called me here. And it just, there, there needs to be more understanding of the commitment and the sacrifice on the, the, the participants' part and then on the pastor's part and the supporting, the supporting church's part. I think we just need to take a step up in our Christian maturity and look at the reality of what the cost of missions is and then either agree to pay it or agree not to pay it. Brother C., one of the one of the strains on a missionary's commitment it it manifests itself sometimes in ways that are that are unexpected and of course uh, if a man yourself or myself uh when we when we surrender if, if we'll just use that word to go to a foreign field uh for the cause of worldwide missions we of course envision ourselves as preaching the gospel as hosting Bible studies, is dealing with sinners, and and they're all spiritual objectives. Uh, unfortunately, one of the strains upon the missionary's commitment are all of the uh, 
seemingly non-spiritual um, <laughs> things that are vying for his time on the more on the foreign field. And brother, you get the 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 first time I encountered you back from the from the states after if you'd been there in Southeast Asia for some time on the first term, you gave some pretty shocking statistics concerning the allocation of your time over those first few years in Southeast Asia. Could, do, do you have access to that? Can you break that down for our listeners? Yes, I'd be glad to. And this, I think, would help open people's minds about this romantic view of missions. We go preach and people receive the gospel and all that. But when you look at reality, and since I'm from America and I'm interested in time. I'm interested in statistics, and I'm a Gentile, and I have to gather knowledge. <laughs> I evaluate all of these things, and sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> but uh, our first five years on the field, I sat down with a calendar and the notes that my family had made. And in that period of time, we had measles and chicken pox and dengue fever and chikungunya and amoebiasis and bacterial infections and three or four different kinds of parasites. That's just the major things, not the flu and the getting used to the food and the spices and all the rest of it. But when I, when I did a time study on that, our first five years, 42% of our time was dedicated to dealing with sickness. 22% of our time was dedicated to paperwork just to stay in the country. That 64% of our time was dedicated to staying alive and staying in the country. Wow. That is not to count vehicles breaking down, the pump on the well going out every 15 days, and the water faucets falling apart. And the hoses, the supply lines coming from the wall to the toilet and to the sink and all have to be replaced annually because the quality is so poor. And the roof that leaks all the time and, 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 and. All of those are time parasites. And the amount of ministry that you ac actually have is greatly reduced by all these. In your first term on the field, you will learn how to be sick. <laughs> and you will be. Don't worry. You will be. There's different molds. There's different pollens. There's different strains of everything. And I was sick with measles at, what, 61 years of age for three miserable weeks. That's a month. I lost a month of time because I'm laying there scratching measles wow. and chicken box and all the rest of that stuff. One mosquito bite. Malaria, dengue fever, chikungunya, just one little mosquito bite. That's all it takes. And you can get so paranoid that you run around with a raid can spraying everything in sight and poisoning yourself to death with that. <laughs> and you run all the stores out of bug spray and still get bit anyway. So those are the things that have taken our time. Your second term, you learn a little bit and your body has adjusted some and you learn some how to overcome some of these sicknesses but you're still sick part of the time and then there's the other one one huge thing that just almost killed my wife and i was bacterial infection not knowing that the house that we rented had a brand new well drilled 38 meters down into solid rock 
And we thought, wow, wonderful fresh water. Fresh water in this country is a rarity, and we have a house with a new well. What we did not know is they drilled it within six feet of the septic tank. Oh, my goodness. And the septic tank is about a four-foot diameter hole in the ground lined with chalk bricks, and there is no integrity to it. There's no concrete in the bottom, and all that water was infiltrating the well, and we were bathing in that and drinking the water, although we were, were using a filtration system. And we got sicker and sicker and sicker and had no idea what the cause was. And those things come up all the time. That's just part of living in a third world country. And some, some people's minds can't handle that. And they think, well, I must be doing something wrong because I'm sick all the time. No, you just haven't learned what you need to do. Build a better relationship with the nationals and they will tell you what you might need to do. And one thing that we had to learn to do was eat papaya leaves, huh. one of the most bitter things on the planet. And that helps ward off dengue fever. But one dose of dengue fever will make you eat a bushel of papaya <laughs> leaves with joy. Uh, Brother C, your your family has experienced as much sickness in that first term as anybody I know. And, and you've already described 42% of your time in those first five years just trying to survive. Was there ever a time where, where some of your uh, uh, national co-laborers and friends encouraged you to, to throw in the sponge and, and go, get, uh, go get care in the States? My initial answer on that is no. They prayed for us. They came to the house. They helped us. They brought us stuff. Even, even lost people brought us stuff. When my wife and some of my kids had dengue fever, I was the only one left standing in the whole household. I had a Catholic man. He came to the gate one day and he said, I have noticed that you're not out around much. He says, what's going on? And I said, well... My wife and my daughter had dengue fever. He says, okay. He went and talked to one of his doctor friends, got some medication, which there's really no medicine that deals with that, but he got some anyway based on what his doctor friend recommended, paid for it, brought it to the house with some groceries, and he said, my friend, would you please take this from me? I have... There's not been another American in our country that has been as helpful to us as the nationals that we have built relationships with. And by that, we can see the hand of God. Because when we have needs, he has used nationals to provide our needs. And, and the church folks that we associate with and try to help and the pastors that we try to help They've come to the house and they have prayed with us and they have prayed for us and they've left the house with tears running down their faces saying, we hope you don't have to go home. We want what you have to say. We want to listen to you. Please don't go back to America. That's been my experience. In addition to the illness, which has been a strain upon your entire family at uh, various times, you also mentioned the 22% of your time being 
consumed by just trying to keep up the paperwork to stay in the country. And uh, as I recall, one of the one of the great trials that your family has experienced in that first term was coming to the place where your older children were unable to get the needed paperwork to remain with you. Um, I know that was a I know that was a sore trial for you and your wife. How, how did how did you navigate that? Well, generally, when in most most arenas of missions work, according to government regulations, when a child turns 18, they then have to have their own paperwork, their own visa, and they can't, uh, they can no longer coattail along on the, on the visa of their parents. Biblically, you know, I have daughters that are not married. I have a responsibility to them until I hand them off to their husband. Right. And I don't really know how to manage the situation if there's separation between our family. You know, we're on the field and my daughters are back in the States, her son's back in the States. A boy is a little bit different because he has to go look and find a wife. And then the woman, the, the young lady's a little bit different on that. Sure. But we have a philosophy that when you're 18, you're on your own. That's an American cultural philosophy, but I don't view that as a biblical philosophy or biblical cultural practice. So the Bible says a just shall live by faith. We got down to just days left and uh, uh, before we would have to send some of our children back to the States. None of them wanted to return. I didn't think it was the right thing to do. And I just said, Lord, I am up against a wall here. I don't really know what direction to go. I know what you've told me to do with my family. I know what this government is telling me to do. Is there something I have not seen? So one thing that you will need to do going to the field is learn how to lay lots of petitions on the father's desk. Lots of petitions. And humbly, sincerely beg God for answers to do what needs to be done. And every time that we've run up to some situation like this, God has opened us a door. There's someone we met. There's some, I mean, we had read all the government paperwork. We had explored all the visa possibilities, we thought. And then we found some other, other possibilities that they were, they were very inconvenient. Uh, one possibility was to get a national to sponsor them, but that only works for six months. And the reporting and going down to immigrations and uh, paying monthly fees and all was, I mean, really, really, really time consuming. Another choice that we had is go outside the country. And, and we have a choice of making a very, very short flight to a different country and then coming back in on a tourist visa. And then there's educational visas and language learning visas. And there, was, there were more visas than we knew about. And as we explored them and used them, God led us to people that we met in language departments, in uh, college and universities. And our ministry began to grow because we didn't just give up and quit when we faced a hard challenge. Now, I know our country is probably different and is different than most other countries, although there are some similarities. But the principle to me is this. If God tells you to do something and he has a biblical principle that you need to follow, 
Don't give up and quit until you have explored all possibilities. Get your brain outside the box and let God do your thinking for you. And don't be stuck by what people have told you, even what the government has said. Uh, just keep moving forward. And God has always opened the door for us. So you were able to prolong yeah, your your older children were able to stay with you for much longer than they should have, according to the conventional wisdom. The Lord made a way. Yeah. Uh, my one son was still 24 before he finally came back to the States. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, God has, and, and he is still doing the same thing. And because we continue to push on those doors and lay these petitions on God's desk and through prayer— Lord, you know, we don't know what to do. Help us. And by faith, you know, continue on, then then God showed us this is what you can do. And and a lot of our spiritual fruit has come from that one endeavor. It's come from that one endeavor of this is what God told us to do, and we're all going to do it together until God does something different. Sure, sure. You did eventually, though, um, maybe even perhaps before you uh, would have otherwise chosen, uh, some of those older kids did need to return home. Their paperwork options were exhausted. Um, so you've had those, uh, had those health challenges, the paperwork challenges, but then there's, uh, there's just life, life in the flesh, life after the fall. And um, I guess one thing that your family has uh, had to navigate more recently was the the, the painful reality of death uh, in your family. Um, is there anything you'd be willing to tell us about just how the Lord has sustained you and, and maintained your, your vision and your burden, even in the midst of that grief? Well, that is quite a deep topic. It's... It's something that, as you prefaced this, it's just a reality of life and just living on this planet, and it happens to all people alike. But <clears throat> within this last year, the Lord has chosen to move some of his property from our family, my 19-year-old son, into eternity with himself. And this was in the middle of a wave of dengue fever, not dengue fever, but of, of the COVID virus. We were not able to even uh, get back to the States for the graduation service. But through all of this, we know that God is good. And in the same way that Satan tried to tempt Eve and convince Eve against God's goodness in Genesis chapter 3, uh, we cannot let the devil do the same thing to us. And although there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of sorrow, there's a lot of a lot of we don't understand, there's also a lot of trust because we know that God is a creator God. And we know that the property that he's entrusted to us was his. And we know that on the day our son was born, we dedicated him to the Lord and the first church service he was able to attend, we publicly bound ourselves to teach and train this young man to be a servant of the Lord. And he had trusted the, he had trusted the Lord 
but his life, as we would describe it, was tragically ended in a certain way. But I can't look at it that way because then I would be I would be criticizing the creator of the management of his property when we had dedicated this young man to the Lord twice. And so with that, we know that God is good, and he is good all the time, and everything he does is for our good and for his glory. And so those biblical thoughts in the face of the sorrow, uh, a phrase that comes to my mind from the Bible is, we sorrow not as others which have no hope. Amen. But we sorrow, and we do sorrow, but we do not sorrow in the same way as others which have no hope. Two and a half months after we laid our son to rest, my mother, we laid my mother to rest. And so my wife and I can describe the last two years in four letters, P-A-I-N. <laughs> but that's okay. Because we're our pain and suffering is only similar to that of everybody else in the world and we but we have a hope greater than that and the nationals have watched us go through these things they were able to watch the funeral service live stream and they they stayed up to an an earthly hour at our part of the world to be able to watch the service and they said they asked me this question that they said we don't understand you i said what don't you understand they said, your family members, your daughter that we know who has been with us here and your son that's been with us here at the funeral service of their brother, they sang songs. How could they do that? We don't know how to do that. The only, and this was what broke my heart. He said, we don't know how to thank God for the loss of a loved one the only thing we know how to do is grieve for them. Can you tell us how God can help you at a time like this? And I thought to myself, why do they not know any more about the love of God than that? Why do they not know any more about the character of the Creator God than that, that they would not have faith? And so... The Lord helped me realize through this and helped them realize that one job that I have yet to do with these people is to show them Christ in his completeness. Even though some of them have been saved, I put that in quotes, for a few decades, why do they not have a better picture of my Jesus? And that's why I'm there. Amen. And so all these would seem to be tragedies God has used to speak to these people's hearts. We had we had lost people from the community bring us stuff and help us through this time. And they knew that we couldn't get home. We tested positive for COVID and tested positive again for COVID. And we couldn't get out of the country and we're trying to get home and we couldn't get home. And it was very, very frustrating. But through that time, we continually witnessed to Catholics, Muslims, Protestants at our gate in our living room during that time when the burdens were so heavy 
but God sent us people to minister to, and that's all we did all day. Amen. And it's not that um, that this affliction has been without uh, without the joy of the Holy Ghost, even in even in the fruit of the ministry and and seeing God honor your labors and your faithfulness there. Our labor is never in vain in the Lord, um, because whatever sacrifices are made or done unto him. Uh, but we certainly rejoice when God allows us to see some of the fruit of our labor. One of the most beautiful things that, uh, that I've seen in relation to missions is uh, actually concerns your family and, and another family event, a more joyful occasion, when uh, one of your daughters was, was wed locally here. And you had a young man that represented you and your wife at that at that occasion, and uh, w- could you tell just uh, maybe give a a, a, a brief uh, account of that of that story because that that's I mean that is the that's the first fruits of your efforts in that region and it's uh and it's a story of of joy and victory. I'll give this young man the name of Paul, and there are many reasons that I would have to use a different name for him. But I met this man at a university, and this goes back to our attempt to try to keep our children in the country with us. We would not have been at this place had we not been trying to do that, but we met this young guy. And he was from a tribal group of people on a different island, and socially they'd be at the bottom of the totem pole. I mean, at the very bottom of the totem pole socially. But he had come from the bush, from literally sleeping in trees at night, to getting a scholarship. He, he, he worked his way through school. He got a scholarship to the college in English, and he was able to communicate fairly well in English. We invited him to come to our house, him and some other of his tribal group of people. And at our house, uh, I talked to him about Christ for hours. He came several times. I gave him the King James Bible, knowing that he would have a very difficult time reading it, but there is no accurate Bible translation in any language that he knows, and I thought it would be a challenge to him to read it anyway. And the last time he was at our house, uh, before there was a big change in his life, I opened the Bible, and the last verses that I shared with him from the Scriptures was John 14, 6. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so he, he finished the program there at the local university and went on. I lost track of him for a little while, and then uh, we emailed some back and forth. He had gone back to his tribal region, and then he'd come back to try to get us, he wanted to get a scholarship to come to the U.S. so that he could return to our country and build schools for his tribe of people. Mm. Brilliant young guy. And so as we communicated, I asked him where he was and what he was doing, and uh, he said, I'm, I, I really, I have a scholarship to get to America, but he says I can't pass the English test for it. I said, what do you need? He said, well, I need, I need comprehension and pronunciation. 
And I said, do you have enough money to get to my house? He said, I have just enough money to buy a train ticket. I said, you get to the train station. I'll pick you up on my motorcycle and, and, and we will help you as long as it needs. So we took him into our house and for a month, I worked with him on comprehension and pronunciation. My wife worked with him. Our, our children worked with him. He became part of the family. And, um, one, and we had family devotions. We went through the book of Hebrews. We went through 1 John. We went through a lot of different things purposefully to try to help him understand who Jesus Christ is and that Christ is the supreme sacrifice and he was the last sacrifice. And Paul would sit there at the table and listen attentively to everything that I said. And I never pressured him. I never asked him about what his belief was or anything. I just let the Holy Spirit work in his heart. And so, But one night after supper, I said, we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about kings. We've talked about religious leaders. We've talked about governments. We've talked about self-righteousness. We've talked about a lot of things. And we've talked about Jesus Christ. And I said, what do you believe about this? Do you agree with any of it? He looked at me and he said, I agree 100%. <laughs> I said, so you have trusted Christ? He says, yes. I said, tell me about this. When did this happen? He said, well, about a year ago, I was in the bush near my tribal area and was very, very frustrated. I was thinking about my family in a refugee camp. I was thinking about my life and its failures. I was thinking about what I wanted to do in the schools and my tribal people. And he says, everything just looks so hopeless. And he says, I grabbed that black Bible you gave to me. And he said, I wish I could tell you in his language. It's so rich, but I'm limited to English on this one. He said, I took that and I laid it down on the table and it fell open. And he said, I looked up to heaven and he said, God, I need answers. So when I looked at it, it was open to John chapter 14. <laughs> so I started reading. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he got down to verse 6. And he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he said, I got stuck. He said, I couldn't read on. I said, God, what are you trying to say to me? There's answers here, but I don't see what it is. Maybe I missed something. So I says, I went back to verse 1 and I started over again. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he said, the second time I read that phrase, I got stuck again. He said, I couldn't go on. I begged God. I said, God, what are you trying to show me? He said, so I started over reading chapter 14 again. Let not your hearts be troubled. He said, I got down to verse 6, and it said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he said, I just stood up, and I threw my hands up, and I looked up at this guy, and I said, God, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And he said, I don't know what happened to me. 
He said, all the bitterness against the situation that I've experienced with my family and all the different things and the frustrations in my life and the failures and all the rest of that stuff. He says, it was just like a river and it all just fell out of me. (laughs) And he said, then a peace from above like a river came and filled my heart. And he said, it's never left me yet. Hallelujah. I didn't Christianize the guy. I had nothing to do with it other than showing him what the Scripture said. And the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, in the bush on another island with that Bible, spoke to his heart, and he said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, his story is so fantastic. A a movie or a book could be made about it. But to shorten it down to get to the point that you mentioned when you initiated this, God did bring him to the States. We did get him past his English exam. He was accepted into a university in the U.S. And when my wife and I could not, and the rest of our family could not come back for our daughter's wedding, Paul, my son that I adopted into our family, carried a picture of my wife and I down the aisle with great honor and dignity, walked to the front, turned around, displayed that picture to everybody in the congregation, and then set the picture on the pew where we would have sat had we been here, and then went to his place. And our church, our home church, got to see the first fruit of our ministry halfway around the world. That, after being sick for 42% of our first five years on the field, when I stood up and told Paul, Welcome to the family. I'll adopt you into my personal family as one of my children. And he was so happy. That was a position of honor that that I gave to him. I just looked up to heaven and I said, God, let me do it again. I don't care the sickness. This is what I want to see. This is the first fruit. This is what we came here for. And we have seen you do what you wanted to do in the life of a person at the bottom of the totem pole of life. Let us do it again. That's powerful. Absolutely powerful. Well, Brother C, you've <clears throat> you've overcome a lot of those uh, obstacles, and uh, you've been in the states for a short time working on the health things, and you're. Uh, within a few days of getting back to the field. So as we wind up the conversation here, um, you've got your hand to the plow. What, what can you tell, what can you tell us about your vision for evangelism and ministry going forward? What's the plan now? Well, we have been developing material that can breach the cultural wall and the religious wall of the, the, the things that hold our, our country in darkness. And with, uh, with the help of the nationals and experts at the, in the language department of the university there, we're going to hone and refine this to a razor edge. And this term, begin to launch this so that people who have a wrong concept of deity can learn a right concept of deity. And the materials that we're producing are focusing on first building a right concept of God 
from creation. And then we're using what Jesus said and the apostles used, the, the, the prophets, Moses, and the prophets. And we're basing this on that. When, when Lazarus died and the rich man died, and in hell he lift up his eyes, he was just a nameless person in the blackness of eternity, but he recognized Abraham. And he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger and cool my tongue. And he could not get that request answered. So he said, please send him back to my father's house. If one rose from the dead, my five brothers and my dad might believe. But Abraham made an interesting statement. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. If one rose from the dead, they wouldn't listen. By the way, there was a Lazarus that had risen from the dead, and they didn't listen to him. They still tried to kill him the second time, which I think is quite a ridiculous thing, but lost people don't think logically or biblically either. <clears throat> but we're using Moses and the prophets. We're using the life of Christ uh, we're laying a foundation of a proper knowledge of God through creation, through mathematics, through uh, language, through science, through man's body. We have a whole series of information about that so people can develop a right understanding of deity. Then we have materials about the authority of the scriptures because if you don't know God to the point that you can fear God, and then you don't listen to the Word of God, there is no hope. So there has to be a confidence that you know the right God. Then there has to be a healthy fear of that God. Then there has to be a belief of the statements of that God before a relationship with the person who can mediate between you and God can be achieved. And so we have this material about ready to go, and we hope to be able to launch it uh, and distribute it in some way in a, in a nationwide project this next term. And we pray that all the things that we've experienced up to this point, culturally, uh, health-wise and all, redounds to fruit, and the light can shine from heaven to us back in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's what our plans are and hopes are for this next term on the field. Brother C, I'm excited to see what the Lord will do. Thank you for your faithfulness. The conversation has really provoked me. I believe it will provoke others. And uh, appreciate you thinking with us and, and walking us through some of these considerations. And, and uh, God bless you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for the opportunity. Lord God, give us more men such as this. For you, our listeners, we appreciate you taking the time to tune into the program. You can subscribe to this program on various podcasting apps. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in as well. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.